Welcome to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So stay with us as right now we present. Ladies and gentlemen, we are really, really lucky to be presenting this to you today because March is a very special month for Michael and his family. And we're going to get into all of that. He is an author. He's written the book called Daddy's Girl. He's actually written two books. One is to remain unpublished. And we'll talk about that briefly in a little bit. But uh, I want to welcome Michael to the show. Thank you, sir, for coming back. You've been on the show two times prior to this. And one was with Stephanie and her son, Peanut. <laughs> well, just just we'll just get his real name out there. And then I'll call him Peanut from now on. What, yeah, his name is Caden. Caden. Yeah. And, Thank uh, you very much for having me on, Kevin. I really appreciate it. Well, you are you are one of my favorite people. I love uh, it. Thank you. Because I number one, you and as we get into this story a little bit, by the way, this is the third time he's been here. So uh if you want to go back to the other two episodes, they're on positivetalkradio.net and also on YouTube. And uh Stephanie and uh, Peanut or in the last show that we did. So I encourage you to review those if you want to, because we're going to take a little bit different tact because I was so thoroughly impressed with the man that you are and your background and, and taking your family and, and really putting them together to make, to make what happened happened. Um, Because without a strong family unit, it probably wouldn't have happened the way that it came out to be. And so we're going to get into all of that. Um, first of all, Michael has been in management for a very long time. He worked for Squib. Uh, let's see. He, he worked for, uh, who'd you work for? <laughs> I worked for Squib originally, and then it was um, uh, merged with Bristol Myers. So it was Bristol Myers Squib. Ah, and he was a Boy Scout for nine years. Now, you strike me as being the type of Boy Scout that you became a Eagle Scout. Would I be correct in that, sir? No, actually, I didn't. I fell short of that. And um, but it's funny. I'll share a very short study. Excuse me, story. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in Boy Scouts, I just it was having so much fun and really uh, enjoyed it all, and got involved with everything that I could. I even went uh, to the summer camps, and I was on staff at camp uh, for three summers. And one of the things that you did is you taught classes and gave away merit badges. Well, unfortunately, uh, even though I was giving those merit badges away to everyone else and teaching it, I wasn't giving them to myself. And that's where I fell short of the Eagle Scout. I had accomplished everything but that. And then when I realized that that's where my shortage was, I was running out of time with my age to go ahead and do it. But that motivated me. I was disappointed in myself. And that motivated me to make sure that I finished the things that I started. And I can tell you that that's one of the things that I'm proud about with Daddy's Girl. Not that it's going to be the bestseller or make a bunch of money, but the fact that I took on the project and that I completed it and I did my best at it. The book Daddy's Girl, which comes out um, in all of its forms, it's starting to come out now, but when is its actual release date? The uh, ebook is available right now and um, you can pre-order the uh, paperback book. It is uh, going to be dropping out on March the 23rd uh, officially, and uh, you should be able to get it uh, obviously on Amazon. You can get it uh, probably at any bookstore that um, either if they, if they have it in stock or if they don't, they can go ahead and order it anywhere in English worldwide. You know, I was talking with a gentleman just before I came here, and I said, you know, I've got a podcast I'm going to do next. And he said, oh, really? What's it about? And I said, well, I want you to picture this. I want you to picture a beautiful young lady at 27 years old. Uh, she's married and she's with child and uh, she's about ready to give birth. And her physical health deteriorates, <clears throat> excuse me, and deteriorates. And, and they have the baby and then they discover she has stage four colon cancer. And he was like, oh, my God, that's a that's a that's a tremendous story. What happened? And I said, and, uh, and please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. But I said, because of the family unit, because of dad and mom 
and a husband who adored her and her physical strength and mental strength, they were able to pull through it together. And in fact, part of that team that he assembled and you as being head of that team was an oncologist who took her by the hand and said, you know, most people who get this kind of cancer are a lot older. And so because you're young and you're strong, we are going to take your, um, your treatment to the next level. And it's going to be, we're going to take you to the edge of your life and then we're going to bring you back. And sure. that, and is, has I missed, have I misstated any of that? No, that is absolutely correct. And because of the team that you and you, and you went through some people to get the right people that you felt comfortable with. And then because of that doctor and because of the work that you guys all did together, the babysitting and to make sure that somebody was with her when she was having one of her many surgeries mm -hmm. and all of the things that went with it, you formed a family bond that's, that is unbreakable. And that is one of the reasons why I'm convinced that after five years of going through this, she's now 11 years cancer free, yes. which is got to make everybody just feel and and now the little baby who who was just born has it has had a chance to see his mom and uh, and to grow up with his mom he's she's going to be there for his graduation she's going to be there when he gets married all of the things that had it gone the other way um he would have regrets about not being able to be with his mom and you guys, you guys all put it together and you did it. It is such an inspiring story. Please. When the book comes out next week or the week after go get daddy's girl. Cause I think, I don't know that you're going to have a dry eye through, through the entire book. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's uh, certainly a lot of emotion into it and uh, you're correct in everything that you talked about. It was, um, it was a really dark journey that we started out on, and we were very fortunate to have a close family tie. We are such a close family, and we are so loving and so open with each other that for us to go ahead and form that team and move forward was just very natural. You know, what parent doesn't want to save their child? What husband doesn't want to help his wife? And so, uh, we were very fortunate to have all the pieces in place. And I think that God surprised, I think God really presented us with so many uh, wonderful opportunities at our darkest days uh, that uh, we, our faith was really built uh, and tested. And it was very, very fortunate that we had, that God provided us with everything that we needed. But the oncologist talked to us about that. He says, you know, all this makes a difference, the surgery, the chemotherapy, and the everything that you're doing, the positive attitude, the can-do attitude. But he said the fact that uh, Stephanie has this team around her, and I'm the mouthpiece of it, but I can tell you that my wife, her husband, the baby, every one of these uh, people were just as much of an integral part of the team as I was. But there has to be a leader. <laughs> and you've proven through your career that you are a leader of note. You've taught leaders how to lead and taught managers how to be managers. And, and uh, you've done a lot of training, management training and development. Um, and in fact, you uh, capped your 34-year career uh, by an incredible neuroscience specialty team. And I have no idea what a neuroscience specialty team was or is. Could you enlighten us about what, what it is that you taught and what you did? Sure. Well, in pharmaceuticals, you specialize in certain areas with various drugs and neuroscience is about mental health. And so our main uh, targets, our main uh, physicians that we worked with were psychiatrists. And we also talked to other specialties, but it was mainly psychiatry. And it was focused on a drug that we had that was unique and unusual and came out and really uh, helped a lot of people. And that uh, drug was uh, focused on schizophrenia and bipolar. And it was a drug that was safer. We got a, uh, the first pediatric indication for those types of problems. And it was a lot of fun to go ahead and represent. It was exciting to represent. And the fact that we did so well was really 
uh, less of me and much more of the team that I had. I was able to go ahead and select people from our own corporation, as well as bring other people in from other companies. And this team was just amazing what they could accomplish. And by accomplish, I'm not talking about holding the doctor against the door and making them prescribe it. <laughs> just being able to go ahead and get the information across and identify areas, certain types of patients that would benefit for the drug and getting them to listen and to uh, see if, if they could find a niche to try this drug. Once they tried it, the drug spoke for itself and really helped us a lot. You know, I was in management for a number of years and I learned that, and see, for me, it was easy to hire people who were smarter than me. <laughs> um, but, but in your case, you're a pretty smart guy and you still understood the concept of going out and getting the absolute best brains that you can find. And a lot of them are smarter than you. And it takes a great um, restraint on your ego to be able to say, these folks are going to make, get me to where I need to go. And they're going, I'm going to hire people smarter than me. A lot of managers get intimidated by that. Don't they? I guess so. Um, it's never been a problem for me because it just made my job easier. Uh, you know, there's two areas of tech, uh, there's two areas that we really need to be dealing with. And one is the technical information. And then one is the uh, people relationship. And so that's what you're looking for with those individuals. But uh, there's a lot of jokes about pharmaceutical salespeople and things like that. But I tell you what, um, I learned more in the first year I was with my company than I did in the five years I went to college. Uh, it's very stringent as far as the knowledge that you've got, the things that we can say and do and that type of thing. So it was an exciting career. It was very, very good for me. Now, I know you're not a psychologist and I know you're not a doctor. Correct. But bipolar. I've, I've had that, that rear its ugly head in my family mm -hmm. and my extended family. And I really still think um, that by and large, it's been very much understood, misunderstood mm -hmm. over the course of time. Um, does, were you able to help people uh, understand it a little bit better? Well, I think that the company did an awful lot of things to go ahead and educate people. But time is the, is the best educator, really. You have to realize that when you take a look at the drugs that uh, make up neuroscience, um, most of them weren't aware. They didn't start making drugs really to treat mental, mental illness until the 50s to any great degree. And so we're still in its infancy in many ways, and we're still learning as we go through. Uh, so it's really exciting to be able to go ahead and be associated with drugs that helped. And it wasn't unusual for us to be sitting in a waiting room waiting for our three to five minutes with a physician to go ahead and uh, have a patient walk up or a nurse walk up and thank us for the drug and talk about the impact it had on their lives. And um, that was incredibly rewarding. Oh, I can only imagine because that can... Bipolar is such a debilitating thing. And a lot of people, it goes misdiagnosed or not diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And so they don't, they don't know and how it affects their family, their, their relationships, every, everything about them. I mean, my, uh, my brother had a wife who was bipolar. And one day she was a wonderful, wonderful human being. The next day she called the police on him yeah. uh, and they had him thrown out of the house. So, so it was, it was a roller coaster ride of unbelievable, of um, consequence and um, of everything that they had to go through in, in that whole thing. And it, it, it made him question his own sanity. Sure. Yeah. Well, there has been a stigma around mental illness for years. And I, I believe that's being lifted to a great degree. People are willing to talk about, people are willing to talk about their diagnosis. And, and um, that really allows people to be educated and to seek out help a lot better. So we're, we've come a long ways. We still have a long ways to go. So you you were in the in the business world for thirty seven years. You also have got a, you've also got a tree farm, and and the tree farm you're you're growing. What are you growing again? Uh, oak trees, uh, cedar trees, and uh, walnut trees. And I was and I was saying, well, good. So you, are you harvesting walnuts and? And you said not for 70 years? Yeah. Well, we, we don't harvest the walnuts. The squirrels take care of those for the most part. But um, we, uh, yeah, for an, an oak tree and for a 
walnut tree especially, for them to reach their full maturity can be 50 to 70 years. So um, I probably won't leave, I won't see the crop, but uh, other people behind me will. So, I like to be busy, Kevin, so it's, it's nice to go ahead and have something to do. And this was completely different than my normal day job. I could get out and um, we have a few acres and I get out on the, and work in the trees and climb trees and cut down things. And at the end of the day, I could see exactly what I did. And in sales, you go out there and you do your best. and You're not sure if it took or not. Right. And, and you sometimes never find out. Yeah, that's true. You know, but hopefully, but getting outside and getting some fresh air, it's much better than being in a vice president's office uh, <laughs> and on the fifth floor of a building and, and stuff like that. It's, it, I understand completely why that would have relevance for you. Now, when did you start the tree farm? Um, we got on this property about 30 years ago. And so it was probably in the second year or something like that. We had enough uh, acreage to where we wanted to go and do something with it. We really wanted to leave it out for nature. And then we found out that uh, uh, we really should do something with the land and help develop it. And so that's what we did end up doing is putting the trees down. Good, good for you because we, gosh, we need, we need a lot of help with our environment and, and trees, by the way, if you don't know this and you probably should, uh, trade trees, um, consume carbon dioxide and they also emit oxygen, mm -hmm. both of which are kind of important these days. You guys. And so it's, it's really cool that you're doing that. Um, and, and I would submit to you that your management experience and the man that you are that really helped you when you went through the issues that you did uh, with Stephanie and putting the family together. Now, how old was Stephanie when you bought the farm? The tree. Um, you didn't buy the farm. You, <laughs> you that's, yeah. that's an old saying that when you die, but uh, when, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you bought, you bought the land. How about that? Right. You know, I would say, uh, let's see, I would have to guess she was about 14 when, when we were out here and we moved out here. Oh, that that would be fun for a fourteen-year-old to go climb trees and have mm -hmm. have a bunch of acres to go wander around and stuff. That must have been fun for her. She enjoyed it. Yeah, the whole family enjoyed it. It was such an escape. We had worked so hard during our our work week that in the evenings uh, or in the weekends we could have a place to kind of relax and have quiet. I have to ask you because your 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 wife is a nurse, and you were a professional and a professional of your rank. I worked more than 40 hours a week. I'm pretty certain all the time. Sure. Yes. And, and because of, because of who you are and you were also high school sweethearts or early college sweethearts. Mm -hmm. How did a relationship between, between two real professional people. And I know nurses work a lot yes. and you worked a lot. How did you, what advice do you have for young married people on how to figure it out to stay together? Um, wow, that's a great question. I guess I would start out with the fact that we met very young. We started dating when um, she was 15 and I was 16. And it really gave us an opportunity to develop a friendship before we fell in love. But also because of our youth, we really had an opportunity to together start laying out the foundation for our lives and solidify what we believed in what we wanted to do for our dreams, what we believed in with our religious beliefs and, and what uh, just in general, we attacked all these things together. And so I say that communication is one of the biggest keys to going ahead and having a good relationship with anybody because you need to talk through things. You need to understand each other. You need to understand each other's perspective. And in that way, you can go ahead and be a much, much happier. And uh, they talk about never going to bed uh, after an argument, you know, always settling it before. I'm a very big believer in those types of things. We don't have the perfect marriage, but we've got a great marriage. And there were times that we got angry with each other. There's times that whatever happened, but we always went ahead and took care of it and mended the fences and took care of things and have took, taken care of e each other. And basically we learned a long time ago that whether we were gonna be successful in this life, was really determined by us. And if we failed, it was gonna really be determined by us because together we could do anything and separate, we couldn't do as much. You know, I've been uh, out of high school now for, oh, I don't know, 40 years, 45, no, 
I don't want to tell you how many years I've been out of high school. That'll be our secret. <laughs> Please. And I know two. Two couples that got married out of high school that are still together. Yeah. Um, the the odds of it are very, very long because you've got to grow together. And you're right. Communication is the absolute key. And and I think I would add one more word in there. And that is honest communication. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, honest communication, love. Um, you know, it's love is uh, love is something that you nurture. And so by being loving to each other, it just grows. And, and, and over time, as you, you know, aren't as skinny as you once were, and you may have a little, uh, you lose a little bit of hair and, and stuff like that. It's got to evolve and you've got to evolve together. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's right. That's right. And that does through communication. Because if one person starts heading in one direction and the other another direction, if you talk about it, you may find that there's certain parts of your life that you do want separate and that you make space for each other to go ahead and chase chase their dreams if they're different and that type of thing. But it's all based on love and communication. So you should be really proud. Now, how many years have you been married now? Uh, we will be celebrating our 50th wedding anniversary this June. And we have been together for 55 years. Congratulations. That, that, are you planning a big party? Um, you know what? We uh, are dealing with some other things with this book and with some uh, other things. We really haven't talked too much about it. We've discussed it, but we don't have any solid plans yet. Well, when that day comes and be looking around the corner, because I got to believe that there may be a surprise coming. I don't know that for a fact. I haven't talked to anybody, but if you don't know anything about it, there's something is going to happen. Could be. I'm not sure. So, <laughs> by the way, we're talking with Michael Schnabel. He is the author of the incredible book, Daddy's Girl, and it's coming out this month. Uh, go to Amazon, pre-order it. It is the it is the story of a family. I and you know I would love to see this into a movie. This would be the absolute coolest movie in the world because it it touches all the bases. It touches um, grief and life and near death and and a family working together to achieve great things. And there is also a. a um, a tinge of spirituality into it as well, mm -hmm. because all of this was brought together by you guys who had a particular faith. Doesn't matter what that faith is, but it was something that you guys held on to and could then hold on to each other through the whole thing. It's, it's a remarkable story. Um, and I know that's why you wrote the book, but did you think that it, I think it's going to do extraordinarily well? You were, you were you were telling me, yeah, Fox News is not that Fox News. This is a local affiliate, yeah. and they do differently than the national affiliate. So Fox News is going to come by um, our house, and they're going to do an interview as is ABC. I think it was NBC. Yeah, oh NBC. I I had a choice of two, <laughs> which is why I don't gamble uh, because I got it wrong. But uh, so you're going to have two. Uh, affiliates come by and do interviews with you and and by the way you're you really are a good interview oh thank you thank you you make me very relaxed it's easy to talk to you well thank you i i appreciate because you know i i gotta tell you it's it is one of those stories that you just feel good about at the at the end to the end of the day it's interesting because i've had a chance uh, as you said we're going to be on a couple of uh, tv shows and they're doing interviews and it's really aligned with colon cancer month and that's the month of march and so that's one thing i would say to your listeners is um, this is a very treatable disease if you catch it earlier early and it's important for you to be tested and people talk and laugh about the colonoscopy and, and all that type of thing it really isn't that big of a deal the prep is can be a little challenging for a few hours but after you're done with that the procedure itself is easy and when they do it, they can go ahead and find out so much information and take care of things early. And we could really save a lot more lives. I had I had my colonoscopy done. Um, let's see. What, how old? About five years ago? No, about seven or eight years ago. Because I had uh, a gastro. In, I had an infection in my gut. And sure. uh, and so they I had that done. And And you're absolutely right. My experience of that was you take, you go home and you, and you drink all this stuff 
and then you you, you find a good book and put it in your restroom and because uh, you'll be there for a moment or two. But the whole mm-hmm. idea is to make it so that your colon is clean so that they can read it appropriately um, yes. so that they can make sure that if there are any polyps or anything like that, that they don't have to move stuff out of the way to get to the polyp, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, and so you, you go sit in, you're, you're in, you're in this room, you get into bed, you get undressed from the waist down primarily, and then you're, you're lying in the bed and you're all covered up and the nurses are very nice and, and they take care of you and make sure that you're doing fine. And then you go into the room. I don't know if anybody's ever talked about this or I will, if you don't mind. No, it's fine. You go, you go into the room, and and there are three nurses there. And I'm going to, and I'm thinking to myself because this is how my mind works. I'm thinking to myself, in just a couple of moments, they're going to roll me on my stomach, and these women are going to be able to make jokes on my at, at my expense. And I'll, I'll be asleep. So the the anesthesiologist comes in and. I've always wanted, I've always tried to stay awake, never can. It's always like 10, 9, eh, and you're done. And uh, so I was making jokes with him and jokes with the, with the women who were very nice. They're very mm. professional, and they are there for a specific reason, and that is to make sure that your health is taken care of. And that if you, if, and so they were there and they were very nice. They got me all prepped up and stuff. And then, and then by the way, at this point, you still are covered by the sheets and stuff and nobody's looking at anything. And then, uh, the anesthesiologist comes in and he pops that little, um, um, thing into your IV and you count to 10, you make it to seven, maybe eight, and then you're out. And then the next thing that you know, you are back in your recovery room and you are just relaxed and, and, and sitting there. They give you a glass of water or some juice and uh, maybe a graham cracker, whatever you want. And then the doctor comes in and he tells you what he found. And in my case, there were no polyps. There was nothing there. He said, so I, I didn't need to come back till I'm 70 and stuff. So, so it's very easy. And yeah. it's also, if you, if you are like uh, in, in Stephanie's case, she had an aggressive, aggressive cancer. Yes. And this, this stuff, it, it, didn't she say when she was on the show with us that she was saying that it was almost like in a three-month period, she had polyps growing up all over the place because it was that it was that aggressive. Yeah, it wasn't in a three-month period, though. It, it had started earlier. We just didn't detect it. And so uh, by the time they did detect it, um, the doctor said it was like shag carpeting. Uh, there were so many polyps. There were uh, thousands of them th- throughout her colon. Her colon really liked to grow them. Um, and what I'd like to go ahead and mention to people is, you know, you talk about the prep and all that. It isn't a negative experience. And I tell you what, it's a heck of a lot easier than having cancer. And so when people talk about, you know, oh, I don't want to do this or I don't want to do that, Hey, people, get tough and do the stuff that you need to do. Do the work. If you want the results, if you want good results, you need to do the work to get them. So much more I, speed. I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. And and the 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 thing about the the prep is, you know, comics will talk about it and stuff because you know it's bathroom humor, and we all we. People like to make fun of bathrooms and sure. and what goes on in there and stuff. But it's it's really not that big of a deal, and no. it's. But it's important that you do it completely so that they get the best look at your 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 piping, if you will, yep. so that they can make sure that they're getting everything that they need to get out because polyps turn into cancer, and that yep. can be a very bad thing. And and I have a relative that that passed from colon cancer, and it's a very painful, not a very pleasant experience. For, yes. for that he had to go through. Yep, I agree. So, so get to, if you, if if you're feeling like if you're 45 and then it used to be 50, now they're saying and 45 is probably a little bit better. But if you're over 45, get tested. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah. I when I was in when I was in having mine done, the nurse said, "Yep, I'm having mine done next week." And so she works there, so she knows that yep. how important it is. 
Yeah. So just what I understand with colon cancer, based on some of the latest statistics that I've seen, was the fact that uh, colon cancer in general is uh, we're having less deaths, but uh, there is a trend uh, that is now starting to show up in younger people. And we talked about Stephanie at 27. That was an unusual thing. It's happening more now. And I'm guessing it's probably due to a combination of our environment and our and our diet. I shouldn't say that I'm guessing that. That's what I've heard from the oncologists. It's our diet, which is a lot of processed foods. Mm-hmm. We're working a lot harder. And so sometimes it's easier to go through the drive through than it is to go make sure. dinner. Yep. And, and, that, and that's a big part of it, isn't it? Yeah. You know, we do diet and exercise. If you, uh, if you exercise, you eat right. If you don't abuse your body with various things, uh, you know, unfortunately, the pharmaceutical companies and a number of them could probably be put out of business if we just lived a better lifestyle. Yeah, and and the other thing that I've learned or am learning through the course of doing this show, there's a lot of natural things that you can do. Yes. Um, herbs and and medicines that are that have been around for literally thousands of years, but yeah. they don't. Some some of us somewhere don't want us to know that because it cuts into the bottom line yeah you know so but that's a, that's a story for another time uh, but i i want to make sure that everybody gets the the information about daddy's girl it is uh and by the way stephanie is a beautiful young lady Thank uh, you. very very smart articulate her son is i think he's cool peanut <laughs> and uh, and I, i'd love to meet i'd love to meet the daddy um uh, one of these days but uh I, it just thrills me that that this is the third time you've been on the show and we've been able to talk in total about all of these things and the book hasn't even come out yet. Yes, yeah. Well, I think uh, it's it's exciting for me as an author to go ahead and to hear the things that I'm hearing from people that have had a chance to read it and had a chance to review it and such. And I keep hearing that it's an important book um, for many reasons. They talk about it's going to be important for the people that are in crisis and that aren't sure what to do. And I agree with that. And that's one of the reasons we shared the story was to give other people hope and to go ahead and uh, uh, try and leave a path that other people can follow to some degree. But it's interesting to me that many of the people that are coming back to me are also saying it's a book for everyone in the fact that it teaches a lot of life lessons. It talks about a lot of important things that we can all learn from in our daily life and that we can make our lives better and our relationships better and ways to uh, approach things in in a more loving way. As we take a look at our world right now, there's so much divisiveness, there's so much um, anger and um, uh, garbage in the world, I guess is a nice way of saying it. And I think that if we really take a look at ourselves and do the best that we can just with our own little world, starting with our families and with our friends and how we treat each other and how we treat the people around us and help those that we can, I think that uh, we could really make an impact on the world. And I am not a perfect man. I'm not, uh, I don't know everything that's supposed to be done by any means, but I think that it's, um, it's just advice that we can all follow and, and put to, put to use in our own lives. Well, hold on. I, I made the mistake and played this at the wrong time. <laughs> I'll go one step further. Then that is the importance of family, community, working together to help each other. Mm-hmm. And even if you are, even if you live alone and you get a diagnosis such as Stephanie got, reach out, reach out to other people, reach out to people who care for you. Go, if you need to go to a cancer support group, there's lots of them like, um, um, Oh, what was a uh, Gilda, Gilda Randers club, Gilda's club. Oh, um, I don't recall the name of it. I know what you're talking about though. And it was something to do with her name. Uh, I, but I'm not sure there's a lot. If you get on the internet and talk and look for cancer support groups, there's all kinds of them and they're, they're set up for different specific, uh, cancers or just cancer in general. 
and there is hope out there. Someone asked me on another interview, you know, you had a team. What about a person that doesn't have a team? Well, you need to try and form it if you can with the loved ones and friends around you. But if not, reach out to the people that are helping you, the people, the nurses and the doctors. They should know some ways to go ahead and get you in contact with support groups and things like that. Uh, and I just think it's it's you as a patient need to own your disease and you need to go ahead and understand it. You need to find out everything you can about it and how you can fight it. And then you go ahead and try to be the best patient you can by doing the tough stuff, doing the hard work. Stephanie, that was one of the reasons that she survived. She, anytime they gave her an option, one option or two, she always took the more difficult one, the more aggressive one, the one that was going to be giving her better odds to survive because she looked at all of these things as tools, not as the chemo as a terrible thing that she had to go through. She didn't enjoy it, but she knew it was a weapon that she could use to fight the cancer. And so I think the patient has a lot of responsibility, but the people around here can help them with that. And if you don't, like like you just said, if you are alone, seek out help. It is available for you. And there are people who are wonderful people that want to help. Um, and use every everything in, in, in your power to to survive um because and stephanie's a shining example she had a newborn mm-hmm. she she could have said oh this is terrible and i'm i'm going to, i'm going to i'm i'm not going to be here yeah she, she did not allow that to even enter enter her consciousness she was we're going to do whatever we have to do and i know that and we've talked about it before that there were times when she would look at you and say Daddy, am I going to die? Mm-hmm. And you would not even accept that as a possibility, would you? The first night she asked me, I didn't know. And uh, because it was so new to us, we found out two hours before and she turned and she said, Dad, am I going to die? And it's a moment that haunted me for a long time because I didn't know if I'd answered it correctly. And it was, um, I answered it the way I've always answered everything that she's talked to me about. I gave her the honest truth and I told her I didn't know. And we both knew that. We both knew that I didn't know. And so I gave her the truth. But after that, when I started seeing her change from this victim that this disease was happening to and slowly turn into a warrior, that that's when I really believed and we all believed that we were going to overcome this. And Kevin, to be honest with you, one of the reasons we believed it so much was because we couldn't believe anything else. It was just too, too devastating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you did it. Yeah. How do you feel? How, how does the whole, all right, let's fast forward. This happened um, 17 years ago. Mm-hmm. Let's fast forward to Thanksgiving dinner, 2022. What was it like having the entire family together as as the patriarch of the group? It must have made your heart, you know, like really proud. Yeah, we have all of our holidays together. We're very fortunate. My son's in Hawaii a lot, so he isn't always here, but uh, he is here now. And uh, so we usually get the family together for uh, a lot of different events. And um, when we have a meal like that, we talk about Thanksgiving. And we talk about what do we have to be thankful for. And um, as, as most families do, I'm sure. And the first thing that comes up in my mind is always Stephanie. You know, thank you for having us here. Thank you, God, for helping us in everything that we do. Thank you for guiding us. And it's just, um, it's, it's so wonderful to have the people in my family and the people in my life that I do. I'm very, very blessed. Well, you know, and it's a it's a it's a sad fact that you know just because the dad is doing well, it doesn't mean the kids are going to do well. But you know, you have a teacher and a psychologist in in your family. You must have done pretty good by them. <laughs> well, we loved our kids, and we tried very hard, and uh, we allowed them to do their own lives. You know, that's uh, when you talk about child rearing. One thing that um, one of Colleen's uh, physicians that she worked with you know, gave us some very good advice when our kids were uh, younger. And he says, when they start getting into their early teens, you need to start treating them 
like you want to treat them as adults. You need to start allowing them the freedoms and the opportunity to make mistakes because when you make mistakes and you're younger, they're usually much smaller mistakes and you can learn from them. They can learn from them. So as they get older, they don't make the bigger mistakes. And so again, we had strong, strong communication with our, with our kids. And when they did screw up, we'd sit down and um, we probably yelled at them. And then after that, we would sit down with them and, and talk to them and say, okay, what were the alternatives? What could you have done differently? Are you happy with the results? What would the results been differently? And you talk through logical things like with that with them and you get them to be thinking like that and you start treating them like adults and they're more likely to act like adults. So our kids never gave us big problems. Uh, they had all the little stuff that every kid goes through and um, uh, my wife and I did the same things. So it's, uh, and when we told them about that, we said, we know you're not, you're going to probably have a sip of liquor before you're 21. We know that, you know, different things are going to be challenging and are going to be uh, tempting for you. But just make sure that the things that you do, that you don't make life altering decisions. Be still my foolish heart. You mean kids drink before they're 21? Some do. Maybe not in Seattle. Well, <laughs> well, I told my kids, you know, as long as the King County police don't have a car sitting in front of my house when you're about ready to come home and we're going to talk to you, because that's what I did to my parents. So, <laughs> so it was, it See, was you learned, and you're passing yeah. that on to your, to your kids. That's good. I, I did never had the police come over. That's, that's, that's for, that's it. That's a good thing. I don't know how I would have handled that. Probably no better than my dad did. But in any event, it's 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 great to talk to you, young man. And I would submit that you and you, and the way that you have raised your family and as close and knit as you are had a great deal to do with the success that you've all had with Stephanie's recovery, uh, with everything that's going on. And and I'm I for one am glad to know you, Michael. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate that. And if you're ever in Kansas City. You make sure that you look us up. I will. Is that uh, is that the Missouri or Kansas City or Kansas? We're on the Kansas side. We're in Overland Park, Kansas. Oh, very nice. It's and I've heard that's a nice area. I used to sell chicken and and traveled around the, those parts, um, but it's hot there. And it it can be hot, but it's not too cold. And we came from the Dakotas, so it's kind of a nice break. It certainly is better than six feet of snow in uh, December in Dakota. Yes. yes, it is. It's it's really great. Daddy's Girl, get the book. It's coming out again. It's coming out what day? Uh, March 23rd. It should be uh, available for uh, shipping. And uh, uh, there's probably going to be some bookstores that will have it in a little bit for that. They'll put it on the shelves on the uh, 23rd. And um I just hope that it helps people and that uh, people enjoy the book. I think they will enjoy it. Everyone that I've talked to so far said that I made them cry, uh, but I also made them laugh. And so I learned a long time ago when you're doing uh, speaking, you want to go ahead and touch the emotions and you want to uh, make them cry, make them laugh, and also make them learn something. And so I hope people learn something from the book too. But um, I really do, do hope that it helps people. And we're trying to move forward with some cancer groups and with some different things to go ahead. And uh, uh, I'm working on a small pamphlet that we're going to be putting out probably at the end of this month. That'll be like an ebook for 99 cents or something like that. And it'll be living through a crisis and it'll be something short, but it's real directive as far as the things that we learned about Things like what are the patient responsibilities? How do you be a good caregiver? How do you deal with uh, the difficulties? And um, uh, how do you find the right medical people? Things like that. It's kind of a working guide. And that's come from this book, different parts of the book and that and such. But I just want to try and reach out and help as many people as we can. When that pamphlet comes out, you have to come back on my show. Would you do I'd that? Love to. love to. Love talking with you, Kevin. Well, you're you're an you're an awesome dude. You've got a great family. You've you've done a, a really wonderful thing with with your life. You should be very proud of who you are, and and I know your family's proud of you. Thank you. You're giving me an awful lot of credit, but I would tell you that the team was. Uh, we all took leadership roles in this team, and my daughter and my grandson. You've met. You've met me. Um, maybe one of these days you'll be able to meet my wife as well as my son-in-law. 
and we were all equal in this. We all worked so hard. And uh, there's so much more that you can do when you're facing a bully. There's so much more that you can do and accomplish and belief and faith and whatever if you do it together with other people that stand by beside you and help you. Can you say for me, Daddy's Girl, a New York Times number one bestseller and the author's Michael Schnabel? Yeah, Daddy's Girl. <laughs> I hope it will become a New York Times number one bestseller, and I hope that it entertains the reader. And the reason why I know that that's going to be the case is because the bigger this book gets, the more people it can help. Yeah. The more people it can help, uh, the, the, you've, you've done your work. Well, you've already done your work. You've written the book. Now it's up to it's up to God, the universe, to get it out there. And, and I implore anybody that needs the resources, this is the book to get. Uh, because you can you can really it it means a lot and there are going to be people you know i say this all the time but it it really is true when you do something like what you're doing as an author or what i do you touch people who you will never meet Mm -hmm. you affect lives that you will never know that you affected them and that's okay yeah i agree i agree that's a wonderful thing and um there was a point I was going to make, and it just just escaped my mind. I guess that's the problem with being 70. Uh, it's been a wonderful journey, and it's just to the point where we're really enjoying getting it out to people. We met with Stephanie's oncologist this last week, and uh, one of her oncologists, the one here in, in Kansas City. And um, she really enjoyed the, the information that we were able to provide her about the book. We gave her an autographed copy and such. And she's planning on putting it in every one of her treatment rooms uh, for the patients that are going through chemo. She said, because a lot of them don't have anything to read, and this is something that they may go ahead and read a few pages of and start feeling a little bit of an uplifting and then maybe a little bit of help in their journey. And she just believes it's going to be really important. She talked about rural America and the fact that so many places in this country don't have the absolute cutting edge resources for some of their people and and that uh, some people give up because of that instead of trying to uh, trying to find a center we were fortunate to have the finances we were fortunate enough to be able to go ahead and make the contacts and take stephanie to uh, the best places some people don't have that and that's one thing that she was hoping for is that this book will go ahead and maybe give them some hope to go ahead and keep fighting instead of to give up you know, one of the saddest things in, in my personal life, my, I think I told you that my brother had stage four yeah. lung cancer. Yes. He was in a small town in Eastern Washington in a small community hospital. And he never thought about the fact that the Fred Hutch, Fred Hutch is right over here. Seattle is one of the hubs of one of the best cancer fighting places in the entire world. Sure. And yet for whatever reason, they would not come over here to get treatment. That's one of the best places in the world. And he subsequently lost his life. Yeah. And it may have changed. It may have been different. It may not have been different, but sure. he could have done everything. Now I have to go, um, Michael, but before I go, I want you to tell our audience um, anything that you would like them to know. Well, I hope they give the book a chance. And I think that as we, uh, move on through life, it's really important to go ahead and pass on the things that you learn to try to help other people. Uh, and that's what we're trying to do with this book, as well as this other pamphlet that I'm talking about. It isn't about making the money. We, in fact, we, instead of bringing it out in hard hardback, we brought it out in paperback so more people would be able to afford it. And it'd be something that we could get to more people. And so the people that are helping me with my, my, my editor, my, uh, agent, my, uh, uh, publisher, we're all in the same boat. We really are trying to give back. And so that's a positive thing. If you want to find out more about me or the book, you can find the book anywhere the books are sold. You can get it on Amazon, which is uh, very simple for a lot of people. Um, we will also, uh, uh, you can also reach out to me at Michael, author, michaelschnabel.com. And the last name is spelled S-C-H-N-A-B-E-L. 
So it's authormichaelschnabel.com. And there's a little information on there about me and about Steph. There's some pictures and there's some of the media that we've been involved in. And uh, there's also, uh, I think you can go ahead and pick up a little uh, synopsis of the book, a little sample of the book. But I do hope that it helps people. And if it does help you, if it's something that you go ahead and read, please share it with someone else. Tell someone else about the book and uh, especially if someone in, is in need. We've learned through this journey that everyone has a story. Everybody has a story, just like you talking about your brother, just like you talking about your sister-in-law. We all have stories and uh, we can help each other with those stories. And so uh, pass it along. And if you have an opportunity, give me a review. I'd love to hear from you. You know, you were a um, management trainer and you did a lot of speaking. It comes in motivational programs. It comes through when one's talking to you. You're quite a professional and you even have an agent. Isn't that cool? <laughs> yeah. Well, you have to have a literary agent to go ahead and be noticed in the book world. And then you've got to find the right publisher. And these things are... Um, Unlike me becoming a, a Eagle Scout, these are things that I, I worked hard at. I talked to 25 people uh, that were, I was turned down by 25 agents before I found the 26th one. And I was ready to give up. And I said, nope, I can't do it. And the 26th one, I found the best person possible. She became um, such a guiding angel for me in this book world, in this book maze. And it's just like a different world. Just like medicine is a different world. The book world is a different world. Now, there may be some budding authors that are looking for an agent out there. Can you, do you feel comfortable sharing her name? Oh, certainly. Marianne Carinch. And uh, she's out of Colorado and she's a wonderful person. Um, you can get her, uh, you can reach her if you just Google her name, Marianne Carinch, K A R I N S A I N C H. Boy, I hope I got that right. She's going to kill me if I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I know. and Lear Publishing. Um, and, uh, that's, uh, that's the people that are publishing my book. And I want to thank you for being here. And I, I you know, you're kind of like, a, um, a potato chip. I can't have just one. So I'm going to have to have you back again. So when the pamphlet gets closer, let's, let's bring that back. And, and so that we can talk about that. I appreciate it. I enjoy talking with you, Kevin. I'll come back anytime you want. You're a wonderful man, and I thank you very much. And I've got another podcast I get to go do. So I thank you again for being here. And, Michael, if you wait right there, I'll be right back. Okay, thank hey, you. Hey, thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of PositiveTalkRadio.net. Please visit our website, oddly named PositiveTalkRadio.net, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to one another because each other's all we got.